Good morning. The reading this morning is from a Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 23, and that's on page 954, 954 in the Red Pew Bible. Colossians chapter 2. The first heading is Spiritual Fullness in Christ. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by flesh, was put off, when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? These rules, which have to do with things that are all designed to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is God's word. Friends, uh, we are in week four of our Captivated series, and we're glad you're, you're here to, to hear and to worship together. You know, our society is multiracial, multiethnic, multicultural, multifaith. Uh, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, Christians, and many others. Everyone promotes their religious rules and their regulations as a way to impress God. And there are atheists pushing their belief in no God. There's also widespread enthusiasm for what we call alternative religions. And each year, thousands flock to the New Age Mind, Body and Spirit Festival at Darling Harbour for spiritual enlightenment. Now, if you strolled through the streets of Colossae in the first century... 
uh, Colossae is in modern-day Turkey, uh, you would go into the marketplace and you would encounter again a mix of races and religious beliefs. You would find Jews there, you would find Greeks there, and you'd have the various mystery religions of the day, a variety of cults and religious philosophies. And you'll find some Christians as well. The world was mixed then. The world is quite mixed today here in Australia. The problem was, the, though, for these Christians who come to faith in Christ, was that they were under threat from false teachers all around them. Now, in chapter 2, we're not given an explicit definition of the teaching, of the heresy we might call the Colossian heresy, but we get snippets of uh, some of the false teaching that was uh, perpetrated and taught. We know, for example, uh, that they had an inadequate view of Christ. Paul stresses the supremacy of Christ, we notice in chapter 1. They had included Jewish elements. You have languages of what you eat and drink, religious festivals, as a reference to circumcision. They had strict ascetic rules. Don't uh, or deny or talk, don't, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. There was the harsh treatment of the body. They also included angel worship, as we saw in chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, they believed that you could gain a secret knowledge, chapter 2, 18 as well. And they also relied on human wisdom and tradition, chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. So you've got all these different facets of different teaching, unusual teaching, being thrown at these Colossians. So what should they do? Should they listen? Should they follow? Should you take some and reject others? What should they do? And this brings us to the crux of the letter in Colossians that I referred to in the first sermon. The verses that really define why Paul has written this, this uh, letter. Chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. He says, we must continue. If we can move forward to point, major point one on the PowerPoint, that'd be great. Uh, thank you. Yep. Uh, we must continue to live in Christ, in the Christ we have received. And it, literally in the Greek, the, to live in Christ, continue to live, is walk in Christ. That's why we've called it walking in Christ. Walk in line with Christ, his teaching, his behavior, his passions, his dreams, uh, his word, his truth. So then, with all these other ideas around, and you will face them today, what are you to do? So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in him, Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. His solution is simple to all the new ideas and the fancy ideas. The things that are going to change your life, someone tells you. The book you're going to read, you must read this book. It says stick with Christ. Stick with Christ. Be faithful to the apostolic gospel. The gospel that you have heard and believed and has saved you, stick to that, he says. Don't go beyond Christ. He is the ruler of the universe. He is the creator. He is the sustainer we saw in chapter 1. He is the supreme Lord, and he is the sufficient Savior we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Through his death on the cross, he brings us salvation. It's by grace. It's by faith. Stick to him. Don't go beyond him. But having come to him, continue to live in him. Continue to grow in Christ. So as Christian believers, we're not called to come to Christ and sit there like slobs, right? Okay? We're called to activate, in a sense, that faith, to live this new life, transformed by Christ, making a difference in the world, loving others, serving others, witnessing for others, going to mission to Southeast Asia, if that is what God has called you to do, or going to mission in your school, 
or in your university or in the playtime group or wherever you happen to be. Live and grow and serve. It says, like a strongly rooted tree or a firmly founded building, grow and be strengthened in what you've been taught. They should overflow with thankfulness for the gospel. Friends, if you're not thankful for the gospel, you won't continue to grow. If you're not so captivated by Christ and all that he's done for us, uh, you will can sometimes be a spiritual, I'll use that language, spiritual slob. Where you don't get up and you don't do anything, you don't, you don't make anything of your life under God because you think, oh, well, you know, yeah, Jesus loves me, he died for me. But if you're captured by what he has done for you, you're truly thankful that you're a lost sinner in need of a saviour and the saviour went to the cross for you. He died, he suffered, he rose again and offers you new life, new power, new direction. When you understand the gospel, it just overflows in thankfulness, it overflows in godly living. A gratitude attitude. Someone said to me, that expression, you think, I wonder what I'm like. Do I have a gratitude attitude for all that God has given me in the grace of God? Friends, I must say that uh, this passage in Colossians 2 was one of my favorite passages as a teenager. I came to faith as a 15-year-old, and uh, the fellow who led me to Christ knew I had to walk in Christ. And he gave us Bibles. We had a Good News Bible. And we would, uh, he would teach us to highlight verses. And we had different colors for different things. Uh, a green, I think, for spiritual growth. Yellow for heaven, all the heaven passages. And red for the, uh, the work of Christ on the cross. And we'd get our Bibles, and we'd take our pencils, and we'd color the passages. Now, these days, my Bible doesn't have anything on it. It just has prints. It's God's Word. It's good. But I remember as young kids highlighting it so we can memorize it and know it. And, and in a sense, I memorized these words, and I knew I had to uh, uh, live them out. And I can tell you where it is in my Good News Bible. The right-hand side of, of the Bible, if you open it up to Colossians 2, halfway down the page on the, on the left side of the right-hand side. We need to know our Bible's like that, don't we? that God's Word and His truth so captures us that we know where it is in the Word of God. You're going to look it up and someone says, where is it? And sometimes I couldn't remember the passage, but I said, I know what color it is. And you open up your Bible and you find it. Christ was enough. I was taught that Christ was enough when I came to faith. It wasn't religion that was going to save me. Jesus was going to save me. But you see, as I grew, uh, different people uh, tried to teach me other things. For example... People urged me to venerate and pray to Mary and the saints for help. The Jehovah's Witnesses, who used to knock on my front door in Marrickville, asked me to accept that Jesus was a created being and not God the Son. Muslims told me that Christ did not die on the cross. People told me that I needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues if I was going to be a genuine Christian. People told me that only the King James Version of the Bible was a true translation. I should start using it. And I wanted to debate it. I didn't want to debate it. People told me that I needed a mentor. If you have a mentor, then that will make all the difference. People told me that if I didn't worship God on the Sabbath, Sabbath, Saturday, I would miss out on heaven. Because Sunday worship was the mark of the beast, the Antichrist. You guys are all in trouble here. And people told me that I should be baptized in their church to be saved because every other church was wrong. Meeting people on the streets, evangelizing me. Friends, uh, the Sydney Church of Christ uh, was a cult-like group, active, 
especially in the 80s and 90s. It still exists as a church today and has multiple congregations. I checked it out earlier today. It's not your normal, it's not the Churches of Christ denomination. It's um, sort of an independent group, came out of America and... Uh, and then on university campuses, maybe you had some contact with them in the 80s and 90s, and maybe still. I had young people in my youth group join the group. They convinced them to move out of their homes, to move into group homes, so they could be discipled, so they could have mentors around them. There's a real control around the groups of people in this. They left families. They moved into that. They set up rules that uh, to show you're an authentic Christian, you have to go out evangelizing on the railway stations and the university campuses for hours a week. You sort of you document all your hours that you're out there doing this work. It was a test if you were saved. And because I had some friends who uh, got caught up in that for a while, because it sounds quite impressive that we found the truth, right? Everyone else is lukewarm in their faith. That was the argument. So I went along to one of their church services at Balmain High School, it was back then, and, um, and they sang without musical instruments. It's all a cappella. It's, it's, it's a standard thing in some churches of Christ in the United States as well. So they just sing, and, uh, and they sing beautifully, right? And, uh, and then the message was good. It was good, solid, biblical, based on the Word of God. And a fellow came to me afterwards, and he said, um, how did you find it? I said, it was pretty good. I loved the singing. It was Christ-centered, and the sermon was, was helpful in my spiritual walk. But he kept questioning me. You know, he wanted me to say that I found nothing else like this church. <laughs> I said, no, you can hear this type of preaching in churches all over Sydney. I said to him, oh. And they also taught that the next thing, because they, wanted, they felt like they've just discovered this truth. And they, uh, they also taught what's called baptismal regeneration. It's all similar to the Orthodox and the Catholic churches, saying unless you are baptized in water, you cannot be saved. We teach that you're saved by faith in Christ, and water baptism is the symbol of that. But they also teach you must be baptized in water, otherwise you are not saved. There are groups everywhere, even in our area, who are trying to say you, you have something missing, telling us that Christ is not enough. People kept telling me there was something missing in my life. I don't know about you. You always find running into people, is it just me? You need this, you need this, you need something else. And the Colossians were being told, you need this, you need this, you need this. You understand if Jesus is not correct. You don't have enough. But Jesus is enough. Friends, 2 Peter 1 says... Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Saviour, Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We have it all in Jesus. And uh, then Paul says, we must not return to slavery. If you come to Christ, being captivated by Christ, captured by Christ, don't go back to your old way of life. Don't go to these rules and regulations because they will kidnap you and take you from Christ. Okay, This is a serious danger he's warning about. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. What are we talking about here? David Garland, the scholar, writes, the term philosophy had a broader meaning in the ancient world than it does in ours. It could refer to all sorts of groups, tendencies, and points of view, including magical practices. Paul describes the philosophy in terms of religious practices, such as eating and drinking and observing festivals and Sabbaths. 
The word religion is probably a more suitable translation for us. Paul says the things you're hearing are not based on God's word and God's truth. They are based on human tradition and the, the philosophies of the age. Don't get kidnapped, he says. Don't listen to nonsense because you have fullness in Christ, fellowship in Christ and freedom through Christ. Firstly, he reminds them we have fullness in Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So to counter the attraction of the philosophy in verse 8, Paul reiterates in chapter 2, verse 9, what he said in chapter 1, verse 19. All the fullness of the deity lives in Christ. Jesus is fully God. That's what he's saying. It's not like Jesus is part God. And some people of the day believed that between God, they had a picture of God, and humankind, there exists a hierarchy of intermediary and angelic beings who possess dashes of divine attributes. So they weren't fully God. So there was a God and there was us and there was sort of different levels of angels and spiritual beings. And he's saying, no, no, this Jesus is not like these angels. Jesus is fully God. He possesses the fullness of God, right? So don't lower Jesus, he says. Don't let them lower Jesus. He is distinguished from angelic beings. He has the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in him, and he is head over every power and authority. Friends, that's important because we're involved in a spiritual battle. Sometimes people say, well, you need this, you need this, you need this in your spiritual life. The enemy is at work. Yes, he is. Who's won the victory? Jesus, who's won the victory? Who's in charge? Who is head over every power and authority? So the enemy is at work, Satan is at work, but we don't walk around in fear because Christ has already won the victory. Friends, if I were to come to you and suggest some extra biblical way to know God, I bring the Book of Mormon or the Quran or church tradition, or the Gratsuna's prophecy. Legalistic rules and regulations to reveal a supposed secret to a new, new level of spirituality, then you have every right to question me and to reject what I say to you. If it's not from the Word and applying the Word, you've got to question me. Right? You need to say, Ange, I think you need to have more sleep get back to your Bible or something or have a, have a holiday. But we will not let you get away with that, not in this church. Friends, in fact, 15 to 20 years ago, at the Mortal Oatley Baptist Church just down the street, the pastor lost his way. And as they heard him preaching, he started preaching the Old Testament all the time, and it was, sounded like he had gone from being a Christian to being a Jew again, had reverted. And that questioned him on it and ultimately had to put him off, terminated his employment. Because the church was listening, going, hold on, what the pastor is teaching is not biblical, it's not Christian. Just down the street. And the church was wise enough to go, we're just not right. By the grace of God, this person has come back to Christ and is now in another place. And that churches maintain a strong Bible-focused, gospel-centered ministry 
that continues to reach out to its community. Secondly, we have fellowship with Christ. In him you also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. And uh, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. It says, remember your baptism. If these people throw you out, remember your baptism and what it implies that you have started a new life in Christ. Don't be kidnapped by the false teachers. And if they're talking about circumcision, so they're probably a Jewish influence, remember that the, it's the inner purification that matters to Christ, right? It's not the outward manifest or circumcision. There is no longer any place for a circumcision performed by hands, he says. The death of Christ has affected the inward cleansing, a spiritual circumcision, which the prophets associated with the new covenant. And baptism is a symbol of this, he said. You have fellowship with Christ now. And you also have freedom through Christ, verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness. We'll look at that in a moment. Which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to a cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Christ died, was buried, and was raised from the dead. Now he gives us three things that Christ has achieved. Number one, we were once dead in our sins. We're in the uncircumcision of our sinful nature, our flesh. We were rebels, we were sinners, but God made us alive. He forgave us our sins. That's the first thing he's done for us. Secondly, he said, he cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he nailed it to the cross. The NIV says the charge of legal indebtedness. The ESV says by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. We sin against God. We fail, this, we fail to follow God's rules and regulations. So in a sense, there's a big, big uh, record of our debt that we can never pay off. God says he nailed that to a cross. You couldn't pay it off. He pays it off. The written code uh, is a business term, meaning certificate of indebtedness in the debtor's handwriting. It's an I, if you want to picture this, it's an IOU to acknowledge an obligation to pay debts. Imagine the billionaire Rupert Murdoch lends me $20 million. That would be nice, pay off the building and have a little bit spare. $20 million. I write him an IOU. I'm in debt to you, Mr. Murdoch. I then lose all the money in a bad business deal. I can't pay him back. So in his mercy, he rips up the IOU and says, I wipe out the debt, you're free. In a much more profound way, God cancels our debt, he erases the record, he blots it out, he nails it to a cross where Jesus dies in our place. Thirdly, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Not only does he pay the price for our sin, he defeats the devil and his angels through his death on the cross. And the picture here is, you would know in the first century when a country went out to war, if Rome, for example, went out to war and they defeated a city, defeated its armies. The way in which you show your people that you are superior, that you've had a victory, 
is you bring the prisoners back, disarmed, chained, and you walk them through your city, and everyone cheers and throws things at them, right? And that's what Paul says Jesus has done to the enemies. He has disarmed them, he has defeated them, he has made a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He says, true spiritual freedom does not come through some new exotic teaching, meditating on a mountain in India, gazing at a crystal, following religious rules and regulations. True freedom was won for all God's people through the cross. True victory has already been won by the one who is head over all rule and authority. Friends, we have fullness in Christ. We have fellowship in Christ. We have freedom through Christ. Don't return to slavery, he says. Don't let him kidnap you. And finally, we must refuse the threat to our faith, 16 and 23. There's a second warning here. Let no one condemn you. Right? We often get threatened by others who quote Bible verses at us or new ideas. He says, no, let no one condemn you. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. We're saved by the grace of God, you see. Or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. That last expression, you need to know that's verse 17. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The Old Testament, in a sense, was the shadow pointing forward to the reality that came in Christ. Don't return to Old Testament living. We are now in Christ, right? Richard Chin wrote the book Captivated by Christ. And he talks about a situation in the Pacific Islands. He said, some friends of mine serve in a ministry, student ministry amongst university students in the Pacific region. Didn't, didn't, didn't mention which country, he said. They originally shared their grief at seeing Christian students taken away from Jesus by a virulent strain of Seventh-day Adventist theology. They wrote in a prayer letter, it is being strongly pushed that going to church on Saturday and not eating certain foods are essential to salvation. He said, my friends grieved seeing many students deceived by mere shadows. The Old Testament pointed forward to the work of Christ. Don't let anyone judge you, what you eat, which day you worship on. And let no one disqualify you, warning number three. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person, notice what, false humility, worship of angels. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with the idle notions by the unspiritual mind. People come to you, well, I had this vision and God told me this, or I died and I went to heaven and I came back and I saw this, and this is the way it is. No, no, don't listen to those things. Listen to the Word of God, right? The truth. Be skeptical when someone says, I saw, God told me. Because God can tell you all sorts of things, depending on what you've eaten that day and how well you feel or how stressed you are. Someone once said to my wife that um, God had told her that they were going to be best friends. My wife said, well, yeah, when God tells me to, I'll let you know. See, we can over-spiritualize things. Say, well, God told me, or I have this feeling, or 
No, stick to the word of God. And people, when people, and I've had people go to conference, oh, my, they're the spiritual ones. And they're always seeking out one person for wisdom as if they have this connection with God and no one else has. No, we all have a connection with God. Dangerous. False humility, he says. They have a visionary experience. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. These false teachers did not hold fast to Christ. They sounded like they were believers. And friends, let me say as we talk about all of this, there's fine margins, isn't there, in some of these things. You want to grow and learn and you think you don't just want to be judgmental, but you want to be sensible as you read the Word of God. But just be careful out there. But Paul saw a real danger here. And finally, don't allow false wisdom to make the rules. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? The world's making up rules. Don't handle, don't touch, don't taste. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. They lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And so it seemed to be an ascetic thing where, you know, you beat your body up and then you'll be more spiritual. Don't do this, don't eat, don't drink. Now, we don't know exactly what they were pushing there, but I guess we need to think about that for ourselves today. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, as I come towards the end in his book, The Grace Awakening, talked about some of the man-made rules that we have instituted to help us become more godly. And we all have different rules, and I follow certain rules that help me to be pure and and help me in my spiritual growth and so on. But sometimes we make these rules equal to the gospel. Sometimes we put, use these rules to put burdens on people. And some of this may be a bit humorous these days. That was written a while ago. And you've probably all broken them. Don't go to the movies or the theatre. He made a list. Don't wear cosmetics. I have multifocals, I can see. Uh, don't play cards. Well, Baptist, man, I tell you, in the old days, well, God, that was gambling, right? Some of, you think, some of you are saying, yes, that's right. right. Don't watch television. Bring evil into your homes. Don't go to the beach. Don't wear bikinis. And some of them are positive, right? Have a quiet time every morning or at least every day. Some of you grew up with Bible before breakfast. Can't have your breakfast unless you read your Bible first. That's a good principle. But if it becomes a law, then you've got a problem. Fast once a week. Don't drink alcohol. I think that's a great one, that one. <laughs> Baptists were good at that in the past, not anymore. Don't wear certain clothing. Don't drive certain cars. Don't listen to certain music. Don't dance. It's a good idea for most of us. At least for me, because I'm hopeless at dancing. Don't wear your hair a certain way, assuming you have hair. Don't get a facelift. Don't drink coffee. <laughs> we're all gone, right? They're all gone. Don't eat meat on Fridays. Don't wear leotards. Let's not get into women's clothing. Okay. But you see, I guess the, the principle behind that, let's help each other to be more godly and more responsible. And there are, many of them are good principles, but when they become the law and we judge people on that rather than the gospel, that's where the problem is. And we have to allow some liberty on how we express our, our faith in living for Jesus today.
Be wise in how we walk with Christ. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. All else is nonsense. Don't add anything to Christ. Walk in him. Amen. Thanks, Steve.